Hello, and welcome to Secrets of Saturn. I am Jason Lindgren, your host. On this episode, I have somebody who's never done an interview before at all. His name is Wayne McCroy, and he has just released a book called The Alchemical Tech Revolution. Wayne, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jason. Good to be here. Now, before we get started, I actually want to read the introduction to your book so that people can get a feel of what we're going to be discussing and just everything that this is all about. So... We are living in the age of deception. Behind the scenes, a group of technocratic elites are working feverishly toward the attainment of their great work. It is a plan as old as civilization itself, and now, through the advent of modern technology, this plan is closer to fruition than it has ever been before. What is this plan? What is the great work? Who are these elites, and what is a technocracy? More importantly, what is this agenda, and how will it affect all of us? Join me on my quest for truth as I take you on a journey behind the veil and reveal to you the occulted secrets of the alchemists as we examine the modern-day alchemical tech revolution and its ultimate goal, a new world order. What dangers lurk in the dark recesses of the secret meeting rooms of these technocrats, and what do they have in store for us? Awesome intro. So... Let's talk about this. Who are you? Why did you write this book? And what are you uh, intending to do with all of this? Well, Jason, basically, uh, I'm just a regular guy who uh, got involved in this kind of research, uh, looking around, seeing the world in the shape that it's in and uh, not really seeing much of a bright future for my children. So I decided, you know, at this point in my life, I need to speak up because if I don't speak up, who, who is? And I think that's a dilemma we, we kind of see today is uh, everybody wants something done about all the injustices and evils they see in the world, but nobody's willing to speak up and do something about it. No, I completely agree. Now, how long ago did you wake up, and, and what was sort of the uh, the shining moment that made you open your eyes and go, whoa, what's going on here? Well, it kind of all started back on uh, 9-11, uh, with the 9-11 attacks. I kind of saw some things happen in that day that uh, didn't quite look right to me. I really didn't think much about it afterwards uh, until... Oh, about five years later or so, when I actually had uh, an experience that kind of set me exploring a lot of these questions. Uh, I I spotted a UFO one night. Uh, I was with my oldest son. We were driving up the mountain, and this uh, strange-looking aircraft, it was a square shape, and it was totally silent. It was only about, I'd say, about 30 or 40 yards above the treetops and moving very slowly overhead. I got a really good look at it. And it was like nothing I'd ever seen. So it kind of renewed my interest in the infringed subjects. So I started looking into the UFO thing, and I was very surprised with where the research led me. It, it really branched off into a lot of different directions that I hadn't expected. Right, and a lot of these subjects seem to all intertwine on some level, and uh, sometimes they really are completely hand-in-hand hand with each other. Would you say that is uh, true? Certainly would. Yeah, they all kind of interconnect at some level or another. And it's strange. I, I started out my research in the UFO field, and I uh, kind of moved from there. And I like to tell people I, I accidentally became an expert in occult philosophy because of it. I really hadn't expected that it would take that kind of a turn. But uh, like I said, that's that's where the research had led me. And, you know, that's that's how I wound up coming across a lot of the information I came across for my book. And what gave you the idea to do a book? Well, my wife had been uh, bugging me for a number of years now that, uh, you know, I had all this all this information and all this knowledge. Uh, I should do something with it. 
So uh, she said, why don't you write a book? And I said, well, I'll give it a try. So uh, I went ahead and I did so. Awesome. Well, I'm glad this is uh, the first place you, you're, you're bringing this out because I just started reading it. Uh, I didn't get to finish it, but um, my, my co-host and partner, Crow777, he already read it and gave you good props. So I'm going to get through it the rest of this week. So hopefully this could be the first of many shows you do. And uh, let's get your book and your information out there. I'd appreciate it. That'd be great. Uh, I think it's important that people know the kind of information. Well, absolutely. But the, the sad thing is, is most people are still just clueless and, and, and in some sort of dream state, which, of course, is intentional by the powers that be. And people like you and I are, are here to try and wake folks up before this great work, as you're calling it, which I, I know where you're, you're pulling that from. You're pulling that from the concept of Freemasonry, of uh, the great work. We don't want them to finish their great work on all of us. So, No, and they are... Uh really dead set on going ahead and doing that. Uh, they are really want that great work to come about, and uh, it's, it's not a great work that's going to be great for you and I. <laughs> they call us the profane, and they have no intention of taking us into the new age with them. No, that's, that's very true. And so pretty much what we're going to be discussing is it's going to be a combination of spiritual aspects intermingled with occult aspects and transhumanism, which is this uh, obsession with a lot of the elites to merge themselves with technology, very high technology. And uh, their idea, and correct me if I'm wrong here, is to transcend the rest of us and become gods in their own minds. No, you're absolutely correct there, Jason. That is what their goal is. That That's the great work, essentially, in a nutshell. They want to become God. They want to have power over the entire universe that they have around them. And they fully intend to do this by uh, merging with machines and transcending humanity, becoming uh, human plus. And that's, that's what this whole transhumanist movement's all about. It actually stems from very deep-rooted occult roots way back in ancient times. Right. Now, a lot, lot of uh, this involves what's called alchemy. It's something that also the Crow and I discuss a lot. Now, let's go over a basic overview of alchemy's core principles and the elite's inversion of what's generally called natural law. All right. Sounds like a great plan to me. Uh, we'll go ahead and go through that. At the uh, heart of alchemy's core principles are uh, something called uh, the hermetic principles. I'm sure you're familiar with hermetic philosophy. Yes. Okay, well, the hermetic philosophies have seven core principles that they they kind of introduce, and, and it kind of overlaps into alchemy. So uh, if you'd like, we could go through these seven core principles so people have a better idea what we're talking about. Yeah, let's do that because it's very interesting stuff. And for some folks, of course, it'll be a refresher. And if they've never heard of it, well, this is great. This is this is a good 101 to get them started on it. Well, that's the thing. I kind of wanted to incorporate kind of a basic overview in the beginning in the introduction part of my book so people understand where these ideas are coming from and what they're rooted in. I'm sure your audience is a little more sophisticated and understands a lot of these principles. But for those who aren't familiar with the hermetic principles, let's just go ahead and take a run at them. All right. Go ahead, man. All right. The first one is called the principle of mentalism. And this principle states that all is mind and the universe is a mental construct. And this basically plays into the, the concept that the group mind, like the consciousness of all people combined together, is actually the consciousness of God. And this is the uh, principle of mentalism, essentially. It also uh, incorporates the concept that much of what our, our reality is stems from our thought, and everything stems from a belief in hermetics that the, the core of all is, is thought, and from this thought, everything else manifests. 
an interesting facet of it. A, a lot of your uh, self-help books and stuff that are out now kind of play off of this principle. Like if, I'm sure you've heard of one that's called The Secret. Have you heard of that one, Jason? Oh, goodness, yeah. Yeah, that was really big a few years ago. Yeah, as I recall, I looked into that one, and uh, that's that's basically that's rooted in this uh, this principle. They say that thought of abundance will, will draw more abundance to it, that kind of a thing. It just basically it's the whole principle of your reality stems from what thoughts and stuff you put out into the universe. Yeah, you focus on a regular basis on, on what it is you want to manifest in your life, and you focus on this over and over and over again until it becomes a reality. That's That's the basics of it that I always took. Right. And that's the whole concept behind it. And really, I mean, a lot of these hermetic sciences are, are being shown out in our modern day science to be uh, actually there's there's some basis there for it to go on. So one of two things is happening in this regard. Either hermetic philosophy is proving to be true or the elite are just trying to push the narrative that it's true and are steering our science in that direction to kind of hold up the her hermetic sciences. So we can't really sure which one that is. Right. Now, I think the general concept that a lot of us folks who have been looking into this a lot, that the elite know more about the true nature of the universe to probably a pretty good degree more so than us profane, us commoners do. So they're going to employ principles to get what they want in a way that we, we don't know and understand. But I, th I think some of us are starting to get the hang of it. I would suggest that this comes out when we see like the, these rituals they use and these, these symbols they put everywhere and all that sort of thing. That all seems to tie into this, wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely it does. Yeah, the symbols carry a lot of weight. That's one thing. That's another secret of hermetic science that a lot of people are unaware of. When you look at a symbol, that symbol has power behind it. And that's something that is not lost on the elite. They know that. They use these uh, same symbols and stuff everywhere. I mean, there's certain ones that are relatively common, as I'm sure a lot of your listeners realize and look around. You can see them everywhere. And there's an intent behind them, and there's definitely power behind them. And like I said, the elite, they're very familiar with this concept. So they know that these symbols have power and exactly what kind of power they have. So and that's something that's kind of lost on our culture today. They just don't see it. They just think it's, it's a logo or something, you know, <laughs> and they don't think anything more of it. But uh, if you look at the background of a lot of these symbols, uh, yeah, there's a lot of scary stuff back there in the background lurking behind these symbols. There is. And, the, and one of the common ones I'll throw out for everyone right now, if you have a Capital One credit card in your wallet, what's in your wallet? Pull it out and look at it. That is a Saturn symbol on the Capital One logo. Always ties back to Saturn, doesn't it, Jason? <laughs> Always ties back to Saturn. It sure does. So that there's a there's an easy one for everyone out there, uh, just in case you didn't know that. But anyway, let's keep going. What's the second principle? All right. The second principle of the Hermetic philosophy is called the principle of vibration. And basically, uh, this, this principle states that everything stays in a constant uh, state of motion or change. Everything moves. It's in a constant state of flow. Nothing is ever really still, and this reflects in our knowledge of mainstream science. All atomic particles, everything's always moving. The, the uh, subatomic particles, there's always motion. And even the concept of zero-point energy, if you're familiar with that, stems from this uh, hermetic science, uh, this principle of vibration. I find that as being an interesting contrast. Yeah, basically that all things are in motion at all times. Precisely. And even... Even if there's nothing there, if it's a vacuum, there's still some state of motion or change within that vacuum. And that's that's where the principle of zero point comes from with the zero point energy. 
Right, that there still is something uh, like an underlying current, you might say. Precisely. Uh, Nikola Tesla advised us that if we want to better understand the nature of the universe, we need to think in terms of frequency and vibration. And that ties directly into the hermetic principle of vibration. Yeah, it absolutely does. I, I definitely think that the entire universe, especially being a musician and having looked at these concepts so much, it is without a doubt that everything in what we call nature is functioning on a frequency level of some way, shape, or form. I would even conjecture as far as saying that solid matter is only a partial representation of the entire waveform and that these spiritual concepts are just it's the energy, it's the universe, it's not supernatural at all, it's just existing on a higher wavelength or a higher frequency than solid matter, and therefore the interactions are different, but they are still very much a reality. I would tend to agree with you there, I, I really would. I think, uh, like you stated, matter is just a, a different form of uh, a frequency, per se. Uh, I know, and we'll touch on this later on, that one of the uh, key aspects to uh, the alchemical tech revolution that's coming is uh, they want to change the resonant frequency of not only our bodies, but also the entire planet. So it's it's something that's that's very important to remember. So this, this principle of uh, vibration is an important one to keep in mind. Now, do you have any idea what it is they want to change it to and for what purpose? What, what would be the benefit to their end goal? Well, I can't say for certain what it is they want to change the frequency to from where it's at. Correct me if I'm wrong. There's a, a frequency called the Schumann resonance. And this resonance has to do a lot with uh, what the resonant frequency of, of the nature around us is. And, right. you know, our brains actually function on the same wavelength as the Earth. And right now, one of the, the plans of the elite is they're, they're changing the resonant frequency of the planet, and they're doing this uh, through uh, chemtrails, which may sound ridiculous to some people, but it's, it's actually a thing. It's uh, a program called geoengineering, and this is one of their uh, key goals with, with uh, this geoengineering is to change the resonant frequency of the planet. And in so doing, they're going to be shifting our consciousnesses because you change the resonant frequency of the planet, and eventually it's going to start changing the resonant frequency of the minds on the planet. It all stems together. I mean, this is the world we live in, and things that affect the world in, at large are going to affect us. Absolutely. Yeah, that's one of the key tenets to the plan. And uh, why they're going to change this resonant frequency, I can only speculate as to that. I believe that changing the resonant frequency of the planet will allow the transhumans, once they make the switch over, once the, the transhuman singularity takes place and the elite uh, advance and uh, evolve into the next level of humanity called transhuman, my assumption is that the uh, resonant frequency of the planet will have to change in order to better accommodate what they plan to do because they'll all be interconnected. And I think the 5G thing plays into this too. The new... Uh, 5G that's coming. Yeah, I was going to bring that up, actually. I, th I think that that is the next stage of their plan, because once they get that massive infrastructure in, in place that's going to be completely interconnected uh, network or whatever you want to call it, uh, that's probably how they're going to pull this off, if I would be able to conjecture that. Right. That's the kind of conjecture that I make is, uh, you know, this whole 5G thing plays directly into this. And from here is what I could tell with uh, 5G. The whole reasoning behind it is essentially data speed. They want to be able to uh, transfer data at the speed of thought. So, I, I mean, you're talking that's ultra fast. 
Well, the interesting thing about 5G is while it may be able to transfer data at that rate, isn't the frequency that it has to broadcast on dangerous, highly dangerous to the normal human form? It's basically a DNA and cellular disruptor. But these transhumanists, of course, if they've already transcended their bodies in some way, shape, or form to a different level, it wouldn't affect them. It would benefit them. Right. That's the whole thing. Uh, that, that's all. what it all boils down to is uh, it's going to benefit them. The rest of us, it's not going to be a good situation for. Those of us that kind of are left behind as natural humans, it's, it's not going to be in a good situation for us. Uh, it's 5G uh, network, from what I understand, the uh, radiation is, is extremely harmful to living cells. The transhumans, once they make that transformation, they're not going to be as affected as much with it because they'll have less biology and more machine to them is essentially what it boils down to. They'll be more artificial than natural. Now, those of us that are kind of, I don't know if you want to call us Luddites per se. I wouldn't consider myself <laughs> a Luddite. But I really am very leery of what some of the possibilities could be with this transhuman singularity and this uh, merging of our consciousness together into uh, essentially an Internet of Things. And that's the other thing they're tying into all this that ties into the 5G, the Internet of Things. Yes. Eventually what they want to do is upload everybody's minds online and all be interconnected in a like a giant hive mind. And it sounds very Star Trek, very science fiction-y, but I mean this is this is in their literature, Jason. I mean this is I'm not making this up out of whole cloth. This is out there. There's uh, some proponents of this movement that talk about this kind of stuff all the time. Uh, one of the most notable one would be Ray Kurzweil of Google fame. Mm-hmm. You familiar with Ray Kurzweil? Very much so, yes. Yeah, he's He's kind of uh, you know an interesting folk, interesting character there. <laughs> he's he's all on board for this transhumanist thing, and a lot of them are. And then you have other ones who are kind of uh, sounding the alarm about it. Like uh, Elon Musk has been sounding the alarm about this whole thing with artificial intelligence. That's one of his big worries. I know he's. I think he's on board the transhuman aspect of it, because he's always pushing that, you know, the artificial intelligence, his fear that the artificial intelligence is going to take over and maybe potentially exterminate all of us is the main driving force behind getting people to accept the possibility of merging with machines. His his concept is it's the only way that we're going to survive like this technological revolution coming is to merge with the machines to maintain control. Otherwise, uh, we're handing it all over to artificial intelligence, and we have no idea what that would do with us. Well, I'm, I've definitely seen that they're trying to get people used to the idea. Uh, I was watching a transhumanist documentary last night that was, uh, funny enough, put out by a Christian organization. So it was intercut with a bunch of Bible scripture, but then lots of interviews with people pushing the transhumanist agenda. And the one is the gentleman who was running for, who had run for president in 2016, and uh, I believe is now running for governor of California. And the person I'm referring to is Zoltan Istvan is what he goes by. And the, the, the interview I saw last night was where he was talking about how we're almost at the point where technology is good enough that people will have elective amputations so that they can get enhanced cybernetics so that they can do more than their human components would have. And that's just getting people used to the idea of replacing their inferior biological parts with superior technology. And, you know, little by little getting people into this idea. So I'm sure you've come across stuff like that, right? 
Oh, absolutely, I have. Yeah, that's that's the whole thing. They want to make that look more and more desirable for people to do, to go ahead and hook up to this transhumanist control grid. They want to make it look like it's it's something that's good. And in fact, that's that's how they introduce it to people, that this technology is going to be for your benefit. But you know as well as I do, Jason, the elite, they generally don't have the best interests of the public in mind. So that's the angle that they're going with with it, is they're trying to introduce it to the public and say, this is for your benefit. This is going to benefit you in the future. We could do all these remarkable medical things with, with this. And that's the, the big carrot that they dangle over everyone's head is uh, the promise of immortality. And that's what the elite have been seeking from the very beginning. That is the great work. That is the, uh, the philosopher's stone that they seek. And transhumanism may just be the gateway to do that for them. You know, I also would like to conjecture that we're going to see very soon, because they always use media, that we're going to start seeing very attractive women and men coming out and being shown that they're embracing technology, new technology, you know, that they've got cybernetic limbs or RFID chips implanted and that sort of thing. And they're going to start being pushed more and more and more. I think we're going to start seeing these things as they want to up this concept and get people used to it and embracing it. I tend to agree with you. I'm, I definitely think that that's uh, all part of the plan. They want to make it look attractive, first of all, and then they want to try and normalize it uh, in much the same way that they're normalizing the whole transgender philosophy right now. Transgender is just one step away from transhuman. And uh, that's, I think, something I've said in the past to some other people. I get mixed remarks because of it, but I see that as being just one step towards transhumanism. And it's a very gradual thing. You know as well as I do how these people operate. They use very long-term planning and implement things one little step at a time by introducing different concepts to kind of steer you in the direction they want you to go. In fact, that's, that's a favorite uh, social engineering tool that they use. is called the Overton Window. Are you familiar with that one? Yes, but go ahead and give the definition anyway. Uh, the Overton Window, basically what it is is uh, they try to control the narrative of uh, what people will view as being acceptable. And in so doing, they could incrementally shift people's views over to uh, accept more and more bizarre ideas as being normal. Like I said, for as far as that example, it started out slowly. First, they uh, introduced gay marriage, and they pretty much normalized that. I mean, it, it's not even really a social problem anymore if, any, if somebody's gay. That's become kind of a normal thing now. And the next step in that that they've been working on now is the whole transgender thing. And now you have, I don't know, last I saw Facebook identifies like 68 different genders or something like ridiculous like that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, but I mean, but this is all becoming normal. And this generation of kids coming up now, they, they look at this and this is what they're brought up with. And they're told that this is normal and they accept that. So where do you go from there? And like I said, uh, transhumanism is only one step away from transgenderism. So, so right. So tra transgender, absolutely, which is what's getting pushed right now, this whole sexual identity nonsense of jumping back and forth between men and women, and you could be whatever you want, and you can just declare yourself a purple panda if you want to be. It, that's what they're pushing now, just getting everybody used to that concept. But the next thing, and I'm, I'm telling you, mark my words, you're going to start seeing major characters in movies or, or actors and actresses or media people or whatever you want, they're going to start coming out with real people who've had accents or whatever, but you're going to start seeing people with tech. 
I don't doubt it for an instant. Yeah, it's going to be part of their normal everyday life, and whether it's an arm or their legs, or and they're going to talk about RFID chips. I, I, I bet money on it they're going to talk about how they willingly embrace the concept of an RFID chip, for better or worse. Absolutely. You already see the shadow of that starting to happen now in a lot of the entertainment. Uh, if you look at uh, what's what's one of the popular superhero movies right now, The Avengers, right? Yep. Well, if you look, how many members of the Avengers team are transhuman in some way, shape, or form? I mean, you got Iron Man. It doesn't get much more uh, transhuman than that. And Captain America, same thing. It's all it's all foreshadowing of things to come. He's a superhuman. Right. Absolutely. And that's that's there, there's been super soldiers programs in the works in this country for for decades and decades now. That's that's real stuff. There's real tech behind that. And people don't seem to realize that that's the whole thing. A lot of this stuff is shrouded in entertainment and science fiction. And that's done deliberately to confuse people and to make them believe that there's really nothing to this. But uh, serious scientific minds have been actually doing these experiments and doing this research for a long, long time now. And uh, that's that's kind of where I'm heading with the, this whole alchemical tech revolution thing. It's it it's coming and they have it shrouded in as the in the guise of entertainment or science fiction. And people are going to be shocked when it actually comes to fruition. It's It's kind of a conditioning tool that they use to get you ready for it. They put it in the entertainment first. And then uh, then when it starts rolling out, you're you're kind of OK, I I've seen this before. I, I think this looks like it could be good. That's how they get you on the hook. Yep. All right. So what's uh, what's the third principle? All right. The third uh, hermetic principle we're going to discuss is called the principle of correspondence. And this one, a lot of your listeners, I'm sure, are very familiar with the phrase, as above, so below. Oh, yes. That totally encapsulates it. Basically, what this means is everything on a macro scale reflects the same thing on a micro scale. So as above, so below. What happens in the heavenly realms happens in the earthly realms. What happens on a grander scale happens on a smaller scale. Things that happen in a, a macrocosm also happen in a microcosm. So basically this is what they use as a tool to kind of indicate and predict what is to come uh, for certain things. And this, this plays a very relevant role in quantum physics right now because uh, that's that's one of the key uh, alchemical sciences that they're they're looking to use to really uh, bring about this whole transhuman thing is the quantum physics aspect of it. And this ties in with the as above, so below. When you're looking at things at a microscopic level, at a quantum level, what they're trying to do is they're trying to bring about quantum effects at a macro scale level, at the level that we're that we exist at. And uh, that that could totally change the face of uh, what what the world around us looks like in a heartbeat. Now, do you think that they've already got a good idea on how to do that? And do you think that might be tying into what's called quantum computers and all that? I do believe that they, they have a good handle on quantum computing at this point. And they're tending to, uh, right now, the, the quantum computers are, are kind of still in an experimental type state where they're, they're using them right now. They're just kind of tinkering and trying to see what effects they could bring about with it. And uh, I, I think they're slowly and gradually getting a better idea of what they can accomplish with it. And I think they do have a good handle on on what to expect. I think right now it's more or less trying to figure out what quantum effects cause what macro scale effects. So I, I do think there's something there as far as that goes. Now, quantum computers, that's in a nutshell, that's that's one of the big, uh, big technologies that's going to bring about the changes that they need in order for this uh, 
transhumanist thing to happen. All right. How about principle number four? Principle number four. All right. The fourth hermetic principle uh, that we're going to look at is called the principle of polarity. Now, this one, this one could be a, a pretty obvious one to most people. Uh, this principle basically is the one that equates to duality in all things. Everything has an opposite, white, dark, male and female. Uh, it goes on and on and on. Everything has a necessary opposite. The black and white checkerboard of the Freemason uh, yep. main hall or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, you got it. Everything has its its necessary opposite. And everything we do falls within the confines of this, this range between these two extreme opposite poles. So uh, this this is a hermetic principle that kind of is glaringly obvious when you look at things. We do li- live in a, a world where duality is king. I mean, when you look at it, there's always two sides two extremes uh, that are, are played against each other in everything, everything th- all throughout society. It happens, you know, with our political parties. That's why it's a two-party system that we have. You got your Republicans on one side, your Democrats on the other, the right wing, the left wing. And there's always infighting back and forth between them. And all this is, is it equates to being a control mechanism. Two wings, but one head of the bird, eh? Absolutely. You got that. It's the same bird, two different wings, and uh, they they just keep you keep you infighting all the time, keep you arguing over things of no real importance when it comes down to it. And that's one of the one of the chief uh, social engineering aspects that that we see that that uh, comes out of this principle. And that's the thing that the elite kind of hold over our heads. They they have a lot of intimate knowledge about how all these principles work, and they utilize them against the public. And most of the public doesn't have clue one about any of these principles or how they're used against them. And that's the whole thing. Much of these hermetic concepts, they, they use them as a, a, a means of control. So that's where we stand with that. And that kind of is how the uh, principle of polarity works. It, it's, it's kind of a simple one to think about in concept because it's just two extremes on one side and you just steer the conversation whichever way in order to achieve whatever goal you're looking for. And that's that's one they use a lot. Absolutely. All right, number five. Okay, the fifth hermetic principle that we're going to consider is called the principle of rhythm. And this principle states that everything has a tide or a flow. Everything's cyclical. Seasons are cyclical. All things in this world are, are cyclical. Look outside right now. We just had snow here yesterday for the first time. Winter's almost here. It's, it's the season, you know? Everything's in a cycle. And this kind of uh, stretches out to all different aspects of our universe and our society. Everything just kind of keeps on going in, in its motion and goes through its cycle. So this is a, a concept uh, a concept that's utilized in some technologies as well. Electricity, I mean, electricity goes through cycles. So it's, it's one of those things that has to be considered when talking about technology in addition to uh, just living our lives right day to day. The seasons are important uh, especially to farmers and people who make their living based upon the seasons. So, I mean, you need to know what season you're in and whereabouts you're at and what kind of a cycle to expect. And it also makes uh, makes things more predictable to know, to be able to see the patterns. All things have patterns. And when it comes down to it, a, a lot of our reality is encoded with numbers and math, uh, which is 
kind of how I, I got involved with Gematria, all the number encoding everywhere. It's it's all pervasive through our language, through our culture, through everything, through just physical dimensions of things, through nature. So that's that's another concept. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's another concept that the elite have a very good grasp on that your common man just has no clue about is uh, gematria or numerology, if you want to call it that. It's, it's an ancient science and it's an ancient hermetic science that it, it's really good to have knowledge of because you could see a lot, lot of things that you wouldn't normally be able to pick up on because of it. And the elite actually use this as a communication tool with each other. As I'm sure you and Crow have discussed in the past, everything's encoded with numbers. And if you look and you can see, you know, find the certain number patterns in there, you kind of get a feel for what's going on. Yeah, that 9-11 is the, is the big example. You see it encoded in so much stuff, especially before September 11th, 2001. You, you can actually look at older stuff and, and see that they've got that interwoven for decades before. Right, absolutely. And you do see that. And it's, it's an interesting thing. I've done a little research into it. And it looks to me like the number 11 is it's like a binary activation code. And what it does is uh, it activates a certain energy within our reality. And why I say it's a binary activation code, it's, it's two digits, first of all, but both digits are one. So when you actually look at the geometry of uh, how our universe works, when you think about it, a one-dimensional object, you, you wouldn't be able to see it in our reality. A two-dimensional object would be a flat object that you would be able to perceive. As long as you were looking at it from the right angle. Right, as long as you were looking at it from the right angle. So, with the two ones, that kind of is a representation of uh, an object called the Vesica Pisces. Are you familiar with that? Yes. And that's the two interwoven circles, and it's actually the eye, the Illuminati all-seeing eye in the triangle. That's, that's what that is. That's the Vesica Pisces, and that represents generation. Correct me if I'm wrong, that's one of the oldest symbols used as well, right? Like when they look at yes, real old... Is. Uh, civilizations and then the, the st stuff that they would put out, you find the Vesica Pisces uh, interwoven in, through all that, right? Right. Essentially what the uh, Vesica Pisces is, it's the uh, interspacing of two circles. When you, you, you take two circles and you put them together where they overlap, you get that kind of football shape in the middle, that eye shape. It's called the Vesica Pisces. And this is actually a symbol of generation. It's a symbol of origin. It's an origin point. So that's why I think the uh, number 11 is an encoding. It's a binary activation code in our universe. It brings about something where there was nothing before. Because the two ones together, which also represent the uh, two pillars or two towers, which gets a lot more symbolic, and we'll probably discuss that later. This is an activation code, and this is used to bring about a new energy into our reality. And it's a starting point. And I believe that when I've done a little more digging in it, that the nine in the nine eleven reflects three dimensions, whereas the two ones represent two dimensions. So it starts as an origin point, whereas the nine is, uh, well, the three, it's three times three is nine. It's, it's a cube. And being a cube, it represents three dimensions. So the nine is what brings about the active, this act, binary activation into our third dimensional reality. And the cube also relates back to Saturn again, correct? Absolutely, it does. It, it always does. So I, I don't know. <laughs> don't know why that is. I've I've 
come across the same thing over and over again, it does. It always uh, ties back to Saturn, which is the cube. So, yeah, uh, it's basically from a geometry standpoint. You're talking the 11 is an activator number. The 9 brings about the activation of this energy into our third-dimensional reality. And essentially, it's like casting a spell, if, if you want to get with the magical terminology of it. And it's safe to say that 9-11 was their next phase of the plan, which probably is actually starting to come to uh, a close. And we're going to head on to the, whatever the next part is, I would think. What are your thoughts on that? I would suspect that by 2051, it would start coming to a close. That's how these people plan things. They use 50 and 100 year plans. So uh, I would suspect that we're going to, uh, by by mid-century here, start to see uh, the fruition of a lot of these things. Now, uh, as far as the transhumanists, they're talking about 2045 as being the year of the singularity. The singularity, this this is the point in which all of the technology will reach a point of advancement where we can't go any further beyond that. The concept of the singularity is this is this is the tying in point where all the technologies will merge together and they'll tie together into a single network. It'll it'll tie together all of the other vast technologies into singularity. It'll create one group consciousness, if you will. And this is basically what the transhuman singularity is. It's the transformation point. I like to refer to it as the the mass upload. Essentially, what they're they're trying to do is they're going to fit all of our brains with a uh, neural lace, which is a mesh that fits around your brain. And they're going to do that uh, with nanotechnology. And they're going to make our brains able to electrically access the Internet. It's it's some scary stuff to look at, but they do plan on uploading our minds into a single uh, mainframe, single computer mainframe, our consciousness, all of our memories. There's actually a project that came out uh, a couple of years ago from a company called British Telecom, British Telecommunications, and was called the Soul Catcher Chip. <laughs> wow. I'm serious. The whole idea behind this chip is this is a, a brain implant that they were going to implant behind your uh, your visual cortex, and it would be like a black box for your for your body and your brain. It would be like a personal black box, like an airplane has a black box that records all the data and everything. So if something happens mm-hmm. to this uh, airplane, they could retrieve this ba- black box later and see exactly what happened. Well, this is the same kind of idea. This is uh, a chip that's going to be attached to your brain that's going to record your every thought, your every emotion, everything you see everything you feel. And this this was actually slated to come out by, I believe, the year 2025 is when they were talking about having it fully developed. And it's, it, yeah, it's an interesting thing. It's called the Soul Catcher Chip. And if you have some serious scientists discussing something like that, I think it's time to stand up and listen, you know? Absolutely. But yeah, that's, that's, that's just one aspect of it. I mean, they, they do have the, the capacity with these technologies to do these kind of things. It's just a matter of... Uh, going ahead and implementing it. And I believe they're going to try to implement it in whatever way they can, because they want to really get this uh, transhumanist thing moving. They're, they're looking for their immortality. It's been promised to them for generations and generations, and they see it in sight. So they're, they're working feverishly towards it. And I think the people today, people like Ray Kurzweil, are trying to uh, do what they can to live long enough to make sure they could see this singularity come about, right? Like, I I remember seeing a program a few years ago with Ray Kurzweil discussing how many pills he takes every single day to, I guess, their vitamins and minerals and God knows what else. But uh, you seeing that concept repeated over and over again, too? 
Oh, that's definitely an important part of it. I mean, if you look at uh, Dave Rockefeller just passed away. What was the guy? 106? 101, I think. Something like that. There was another one that just died recently that was 106. I don't remember which one it was, but if you look at that kind of longevity, you really generally don't see that from the common public. It's a lot of these guys, they have access to uh, a lot of these medical advancements and stuff that you and I don't have. They're privy to that kind of thing, and we're not. And that's that's where the difference is. Like George Carlin said, it's a small club and you ain't in it. So, <laughs> Never a truer word spoken, I would say. Yeah, that's for sure. Definitely plays a lot in. And we'll, we'll get into that later. Life extension technologies are one of the technologies I identify as being an alchemical technology that they're, they're planning to use for this. So uh, we'll get into that a little more later. Right now, we should probably get back to the hermetic principles. Right. We're up to number six. Number six. Okay. It's the principle of cause and effect. And this one's probably the best known hermetic principle to people in general. It's a pretty cut and dry statement. Every cause has its effect and every effect has its cause. And here's where uh, the alchemical aspect comes into it. See, the elite are trying to play around with this so that they could have effects with what they call retrocausality. Are you familiar with re the term retrocausality? You know, I've heard that term and I'm blanking on what it means, so let's go ahead and explain that. Basically, there's been some scientific experiments that show that it's, it's feasible, that it's actually a possibility. And the elite are, are truly intending to try and use quantum physics to achieve this. And what this is, is you have your effect before you have the cause of the effect. So we may be actually seeing right now in our reality effects that the cause of these effects is actually doesn't occur until some future time. So uh, it, it really it's hard to wrap the mind around. But that's the whole concept of this principle, the principle of cause and effect. It's, it's really familiar with all of us because, you know, you, you throw a ball up in the air, it comes back down. Well, you know, it's it's for every effect, there's a cause. Now, it gets a little creepy when uh you see an effect with no discernible cause, and that cause may be coming from some future time. And like I said, there have been some experiments and stuff done. I don't have the information in front of me, but it has actually showed that retrocausality is a, a plausible thing, especially when it comes to quantum physics. And this is another area where quantum physics ties in. I, I think quantum physics is one of their key tools that they're going to use to achieve their goals. Now, would that also tie in with the concept of bilocation? Yes, that would tie in with bilocation, definitely. It's basically a time effect, a time dilation effect is what happens. With that, uh, bilocation, that does definitely play in. I haven't looked at it from that, but yeah, yeah now that you mention it, it, it does play in with retrocausality. Well, just the concept that no matter how far apart two particles are that have interacted, one doing a thing would actually immediately affect the other and, and, and the temporal distance between them is irrelevant, which is a very interesting concept in and of itself. And I would think that probably has to do with, with retrocausality. I would think so. That's actually, that's been a provable, scientifically provable thing. It's called quantum entanglement. And it's, it's definitely a technology that uh, has a lot of, a lot of potential with just having the ability to, to have this. I mean, you're talking communications, instant communications from no matter what distance, there's, there's even talk of quantum teleportation. Now, I, I don't know if there's ever actually, I know that they've done some experiments on subatomic particles and have actually achieved quantum teleportation with it. But as far as doing that on a mass scale, I don't know if that's a thing just yet or not. I do know that I, I've read some documentation uh, doing my UFO research that there there's a device called the uh, Northrop Quantum Teleportation Disk. 
that supposedly exists that I've seen out there bantied about in a lot of the conspiracy circles with, with the UFO thing. Whether it's true or not, I can't say for sure. I can't speak to that validity. But uh, there's definite, they're naming the company and everything that produces it. And there might be something to it. There might not. I haven't been able to find anything on it because if it was something that truly exists, you're not going to find information on that. That's going to be a deep black project. Sure, that makes sense. All right, let's do uh, the seventh principle. What's the last one? All right, down to number seven. Uh, The seventh principle, uh, this one's closely related to the principle of polarity, and this one's called the principle of gender. And this principle basically states that everything has a masculine and a feminine aspect to it. And once again, like I said, this this one closely relates to the the, uh, principle of polarity. Once again, it's one that the the elite use as a control mechanism. There's always this battle of the sexes, this this confusion. If you look at our society right now, that's one of the big social aspects, social engineering aspects of it going on right now, is this whole uh, gender fluidity thing. They're using it as a weapon against us. If If you keep people confused, the more confusion, the more chaos, the more money that they're making on it. And that's what it boils down to. Uh, there's profit in confusion, and the elite know this, and they utilize it, and that's where they're going with that. So, Oh, and they use it constantly, They're like in so many different ways. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they use it in a, all different ways, but uh, basically it's it's always this constant battle of the sexes going on. Basically what they use it the most for at this point is it's a dehumanization campaign. It's, it's used basically to dehumanize people, take away your empathy for people. That's that's what it is. It, it's used for that in that kind of a social engineering aspect. That way, whenever they decide to do whatever mean and nasty things that they decide to do to different peoples, you really don't have much empathy for them. So, because in your mind they've been dehumanized, it's it's all once again part of their part of their mind control technology that they use on us. All right, so now we've gotten through the, the seven principles, and everyone now should have a, a pretty basic understanding of this whole alchemy. How do you think this ties in with all this artificial intelligence that they're pushing big time in, in the media right now? Now, here's what my research has come to the conclusion of. Basically, uh, how it works is is the whole uh, concept and science behind alchemy is alchemy is... Uh, when you go with the flow of nature to achieve goals, it's it's using nature as a tool in order to achieve whatever kind of goals you're looking for. Now, the elite have a different view of alchemy. They have a totally twisted view of alchemy, whereas the alchemy they use is a total inversion of natural law, whereas uh, what alchemy was always intended to be from the get-go is it was supposed to be a tool to help you spiritually and and naturally get along uh, and go with natural law in order to achieve things and stay within the, the bounds of creation. The elite have a totally different view. They are totally out to invert natural law altogether. There's no place for natural law in a transhuman future. It's, it's all going to be artificial. There's not going to be any nature left. So that's they're looking to achieve with that. So as uh, far as how alchemy plays in with this, the technologies that they're developing are basically designed to totally invert natural law. So they're, they're totally looking to turn the world upside down. Yeah, no, I could completely agree with that. Now, we're almost at the one-hour mark. Why don't we split this into two episodes so that uh, we don't feel rushed or 
uh, anything like that. And we'll come back in a moment and we'll start the second part and we'll go through the rest of uh, what your book's all about. 